Welcome all to The Green Majority. Uh, I am in studio with M.A. Ma and Lawrence Alvarez of the Institute for Resource-Based Economy, uh, the president of the Resource-Based Economy, and also the co-founder of the Toronto Tool Library. Am, did I get that all right? You did. Amazing. Uh, and of course, you're listening to us on CIUT 89.5, any or one of our wonderful radio syndicates, or perhaps on the podcast, which can be found on greenmajority.ca. And uh, this is another one of our special episodes of our ongoing series, Planning to Win, uh, in which we sort of sit down with p- different people who are actually doing the building of a, of a sustainable world right now, and we sort of find out, A, what, is, what they're doing and, and how we can sort of be a part of it. But before that, what we're trying to do is start really high level. And specifically, we're trying to figure out how we can sort of vision a, a, a actually sustainable world and then work backwards, because that's really how we problem solve. Like, how humans problem solve is they sort of see where they want to be and they work backwards to how they want to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if I can open up, it's a, it's a small question, uh, <laughs> but what does a sustainable world look like to you? Ooh, I mean, that's a, it's, a, it's a big question for sure. <laughs> um, a sustainable world uh, is one that works in concert with nature. Um, that realizes that humans, any humans that are alive in the present exact time are not the last song on the set list. You know, the concert will continue uh, onward. Uh, a sustainable world is one that values each human life and the potential that it can bring, but also each environmental factor and looks at the world as not just the beautiful, incredible thing upon which we live that is miraculous in itself, but also as the battery that charges uh, and runs our world. And we need to work uh, absolutely in one unit with this thing. A sustainable world to me is where we are part of nature. Mm. We are completely part of it. There's no separation between us and nature. We see ourselves as natural items and we treat it as such. Uh, What do you mean by natural items? (laughs) I mean, I I feel as if right now we are quite separate from Mm. nature. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to say, but I think that we use we use a lot more of the resources of the planet without the long-term thinking of their regeneration rates or without thinking about what humans will do in 200 years. You know, what what kind of, what's the copper and nickel and cobalt and talentum and oil? What's that going to look like in 200 years? It doesn't seem as if we're working with that multi-generational mindset, Hmm. which is what nature, I mean, nature, 10,000 years is a blink in the evolutionary scale. And I think that individual human lifetimes are really not as important as the survival of the entire species. Um, Not to say each person isn't, isn't, an amazing, incredible thing. I mean, they there, are. There is certainly a tension there, right? It, it, it's, it's such a funny yes. thing of, of, of how much you can feel so strongly that one individual life needs to be so importantly protected, yet also the, the overwhelmingness that is this time scale. Yes, absolutely. So let's go individual. Let's go for one person and, and take us through a day. So there's Lawrence Alvarez exists in 100 years, and we've miraculously somehow managed to entirely make ourselves <laughs> sustainable. Uh, and so we're living in, in, in this sort of world. Mm-hmm. Y- you wake up, and, and what do you do? <laughs> I know, I know. I've never thought of that before, in that kind of context before. What would I do at 8 o'clock in the morning in 2117? Yeah, yeah. And, and presuming, we've, presuming you're not waking up to, you know, rising floods and everything like that. You're, you're, you're waking up in a, in, a, okay. in a world that's, you know, there's some greenery out still and we're, we're, doing, we're doing okay. Okay. Um, I imagine that I would be making a smoothie in like a kind of vaporizing item. <laughs> I just like took an apple and zapped it into fluid. Nice. All right. All right. <laughs> it would just, and it would be a super amazing apple. I mean, I have no idea. Uh, it's it's such a crazy thing to think about. Um, I think that what 
what I would consume on a daily basis would be totally different. Mm. I imagine that uh, paper wouldn't be something that I would interact with in in my life. I don't think so. I think that just it would be electronic. Everything mm. would be electronic. No receipts, no like tax forms, no none of that stuff. It would be all electronic. Um, I imagine that there would be some sort of interface uh, that would uh, enhance my body and enhance my uh, my interaction with the world. Perhaps it's giving me um, different displays as I'm looking at things, you know, through my eyes. Who knows? And transportation-wise, maybe I'm using a Hyperloop or a suction tube thing, like in Futurama. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, just, you, you just walk into it and you fly other places. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And suddenly, I'm like downtown <laughs> or whatever it is, um, and I imagine that I'm not working hmm. in the same way that I am now. I, I imagine that almost I don't have a job in the same way that it is now, that I'm not going somewhere uh, and selling my mental and physical labor in order to get just the basic things I need to keep my human body alive right at that moment. I, I don't think that I'm going and working somewhere that I don't want to work. Also, I I think that probably technology has gotten to the stage where you know food can be prepared in a perfectly nutritious way. Agriculture, construction can be done, uh, you know, using those things. I don't think money will also have the same sort of relevance or be looked at in the same way. I think that uh, in in a sane world of the future, you are just allowed to exist as a human. Mm. You, know, you you don't have to really do anything to be able to live. Um, so the, the, the things that sort of that you re, that you really need on a day-to-day -day basis are given, are, are given to you. Absolutely. And it, I'm sure that people could think of this right now as sort of a basic income you kind of thing, but, but, it, but it's sort of further than that. Absolutely, much further than that. Because if you think about it, like uh, right now, let's say you make $40,000 a year and, uh, and with that money, you have to pay your rent, you gotta buy your food, you gotta pay for your transportation and you have to you know, pay, buy things to enjoy your life with, you know, go to the movies or buy a football or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know. In the future, I mean, let's look at perhaps if food, there's just food terminals. You just go there and get food. And there's no reason for anyone to want for food because our distribution network of the planet that is so incredible and efficient, well, maybe not so efficient, but it's so incredible today and very extensive, is used towards providing just food for everyone that exists. Hmm. We have updated technologies that are allowing people to live in spaces. You don't have to pay for a place to live. You just get a place to live. Or you do housing swaps and you move to Tokyo for a year and live in someone else's place or whatever it is. Um, you know, so I think maybe you're not paying rent. Right. At that point, you just have a place because right. you're a human. You're not paying for food, but you have a place because you're a human. And then what about that football, the guitar you want? You know, you're not buying those things because it's, it's completely ridiculous that we would all like, continually buy a tent, all of us, or a football, or a guitar, when really most of those things are idle for you know, 90% of their lifetimes anyway. Uh, or a car, whatever it is. I have three footballs at home right now, and all of them are very necessary. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you fall into a 1% category. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, The person who really needs three footballs for whatever reason. I actually do not know why I own three footballs. Just, I would like to it was see brought to my attention. All at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but in that way, then you're not, you're not having to buy those things. You're not having to work to get them. So then what does money look like? What does work look like? Right. You know, if I don't have to work to get those things, then what am I spending my time doing? Oh, perhaps I'm spending it doing the things I really enjoy doing. And part of the beauty of life, part of, part of the enjoyment of life is helping other people mm. and being in a community. When you're released from, from the, this is going to sound crazy, but like the wage slavery of the world, like mm. the indentured servitude that you're born into basically by having to sell your labor or whatever in this world that we right. have now in 2017, right. we're talking about. Yeah. 
I think when you're released from that, the things that are important to you surface. Mm. They come to the surface a lot quicker, and then you can see that you know, oh, you want to spend your day making music for other people, right? Like, right. So the question of sort of what would you do if you didn't have, you know, sort yes. of honestly, what would you do if you didn't have to worry about the subway? And then asking yourself that question and sort of presuming, oh, what would a world look like of people who are all doing whatever that thing is? Absolutely, but it but it's filtered over that question is a world of abundance, mm. one that doesn't exist right now. Is like scarcity. So you know, if you won the lottery, what do you? What would you do? Oh, I would go and buy an island. You know, right. that that's not that's not an answer that would be reasonable. Reasonable right. in that world, basically. Right, 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 right. It's it is interesting how you sort of reframed society from an under. Right now, we we exist in a convoluted world, which both simultaneously is is we are told we waste forty fifty percent of our food that we create, right. Right. Uh, and yet also people go hungry. Yes, uh, and so we we exist in this world that tells us that there's a that there's a limit that, that that we don't have enough and we don't have enough 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 while also telling us at the same time that we we have too much or that there's that we don't want a bunch of the stuff we do have already. Absolutely. And and so you and so so to transition from sort of that sort of big picture to your area of of where you're working on it right now, mm-hmm. it is that sort of piece you sort of mentioned near the end of why do we own three footballs? Mm-hmm. You know why do, why is that a thing or why do I own three footballs? It's a different question. <laughs> But why does anyone feel the need to, to, to buy instead of, say, rent or, or share? And so how does, how does that ex- – that, what does that look like in this 2017 world, 2117 world? What are, how are we getting all this – how are we getting all our stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, like, right now, in order to access a lot of the things that – to enjoy your life, you have to trade it for a currency, the dominant currency mm-hmm. of the place on the planet in which you live. But in a future – it, would, it wouldn't be logical for everyone to, to own things because the resources of the planet, it's, they're incapable of regenerating at the same rate that everyone can have a hammer or a tent or a football or board games or whatever it is, especially when you use the things so infrequently. Like it would be so outside of just what you would really do in that situation because the resources of the planet would be seen as being the common heritage hmm. of all the world's people, right? Hmm. This is an idea from you know, Jacques Fresco and started the Venus Project. You know, he said this thing first. He was like, you know, the resources of this planet, they belong to every human, regardless of where you are, where your geographic, where the geographic lottery has placed you on planet Earth, you know, and Buckminster Fuller says it amazing too, you know, that yes, the world is like a ship with 100, 190 admirals and the ones who live above the kitchen are under the illusion that they own all the food. <laughs> Those that live above the engine room under the illusion they own all the fuel. Port and starboard side admirals are trying to list the boat to drown the others. No one's paying attention to where the boat is going. You don't reach the next port of call. So that's, that's the thinking that we have right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is small-minded and rooted, I think, in assumptions that aren't correct anymore. Mm. Well, it's rooted in a fear of scarcity. In a fear of scarcity, yeah. right, exactly. And, and so how does, that, how does that change? So, I mean, when you look at that world, you're like, okay, well, we definitely cannot consume in the same way that we're doing now. It's impossible for that to happen just based on the physical realities of the planet. So if, if in 100 years we're not going to consume in that same way, how will we access these things that we just need to enjoy our lives or the things that better our lives? Well, we'll you probably borrow them. Well, is there a model of borrowing that exists right now, which is kind of something to emulate? Of course, there is libraries. Mm-hmm. Libraries have been around for a really long time. Right now, I mean, we're in Toronto. This is the largest neighborhood-based library system on the planet. Last year, they did 40 million loans wow. at their 100 branches. And they have uh, 10 million items that you go and borrow. Uh, it's something like 1. 1. 1.7 million people have a library card. 
it's incredible the 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 amazing system we have here. Anyone who doesn't have a library card, I mean, man, you got to get that. I mean, like, it's amazing. You get like thousands and thousands of dollars you just get of information just right. for free, just for being a resident here. Not only that, you get lynda.com. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, I got, It's very easy. You really like the Toronto Library. I love the public <laughs> library. It's like, I really do. I have two public library books in my bag, like right, all right now. All right, man. <laughs> but anyway, so libraries are, are, are a great model and they exist right. already. There's something that's already inside the consciousness for people. It's, it's very easy. And so it's, it's an easy step for people to say, okay, instead of borrowing a book on the history of Portugal, I'm going to borrow this hammer drill with mm-hmm. these SDS bits to put up a, a, a picture in my, in my room. Or right. I'm going to borrow this game of Scrabble to play with my mom when she comes and visits. Or I'm going to borrow this high chair so I don't have to buy it when my sister comes and visits me for a month. Or I'm, you know what, I'm going to borrow this volleyball net because you know what, I love volleyball. That is such a fun game. But I can tell you that my excitement for it goes immediately down once I played it for five hours. <laughs> and it only comes back maybe once a year. Right. But that one time, I really want to play that game. Yeah. But no reason for me to buy it. And so before, actually, I haven't played volleyball for like 10 years. <laughs> but we recently got a volleyball net at our sharing depot. Ah. And so I played it this summer and it was really fun. Right. <laughs> so so in this world, and this may be not a question, this may be too big, but I'm intrigued by it. So I'm going to follow this line of thought. Uh, which is in this world in which we're doing that, who's making the footballs? Uh, you know, like if, if we've gotten, if we've gotten to a point in which we're, we're, we're sharing our footballs, how are we making the footballs in the first place? Is there a different mm-hmm. structure or are they, mm-hmm. uh, what's happening there? So presumably, I mean, we're making less for sure, right. way less of these things. Mm-hmm. And presumably they're being made by machines. Mm. We're, we're just programming robots to create these things for we're us. We're like 3D printing uh, everything. Yeah, basically, we could be 3D printing things. We could be you know, automating all these factory processes that can be dangerous. Mm. And maybe the kinds of work that humans don't really want to do on a daily basis, yeah, right. you know, because it's not fulfilling or really people's dreams. So well, instead, it, it is currently killing the manufacturing industry. So it's already happening in yeah. many ways. Right, right, exactly. And I mean... I look to a future where these sharing libraries, the alternative library movement, or these lending libraries, or the sharing economy movement, pressures manufacturers to stop making things that get that break down so quickly. So mm. instead of a football today, which is maybe made to the lowest possible acceptable standard, uh, these things are made to the absolute highest possible standard because that ball, instead of the estimated thousand times in its life, it's going to be kicked. Now they're estimating 15, 20, 30,000 times that this ball is going to, you know, get kicked by a foot. And so that makes So how you would make that with the absolute best material. So you're making less of them, but you're making them to last. Also, you're making them to come apart Hmm. and go back together with new parts or whatever it is. You see this with a lot of cool projects like phone blocks. Hmm. I love this, which is a smartphone that's like modular. Yeah, yeah. You can, yeah, you can take out and put a bigger battery. You can replace the camera. You can do the screen yourself. It makes total sense. Not yeah. these proprietary devices we have today. I will admit, when I first saw phone block, I spent a bunch of time being like, this is so cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> and then yeah. it's kept hoping someone would make something that, something that I can actually buy. Uh, but, okay, so, 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 so we're, making, we're making less. So is anyone working? Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Are 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 there are there are there the, are there mechanics for these for these machines? Uh, are, are is there at some way is it machines all the way up? Or is this year to the turtle? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I've met a lot of people who like to do a lot of different things, mm. and uh, uh, work has this connotation to it, like it's not it's not something that would be enjoyable. 
but some actions are fulfilling mm, totally. in themselves. Yeah. You know, some machines are interesting to go in and explore and dive in and put that puzzle and take that piece out and put a new piece in. Well, people are making robots all the time right now. It's yes, exactly. Pretty, in yeah. their spare time. Yeah, absolutely. So there are many, many people who would be doing professions that excite them and mm. light their fires uh, as opposed to maybe the things they do now if they were released mm. from certain things like the cost of education or just having to feed and house themselves and not being able to go and study at all. Uh, if people were just unleashed to their highest potential, then you would see a lot of very skilled people in a lot of different sectors. Teaching is one that always comes to mind mm -hmm. for sure. The amount of people out there who would love to be teachers and would be the most amazing teachers, you know, but they're just not able to right. because they live in a rural village somewhere and they don't have the ability. You know? yeah. And that's a lot of wasted human potential. Yeah. That's a lot of, uh, a lot of human resources that we could be <laughs> tapping uh, into to make our world even more incredible, which is arguably the goal of this entire thing. I don't right. know. What don't, else are we doing? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If not trying to make the world more incredible. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so uh, I'm going to, we're going to go to a quick music break. Uh, Emma is going to come in and sort of dive in more deeply into, into what the tool library does is, uh, and, and all the sort of, the sort of nooks and crannies of, 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 cause part of the idea here is, is we're not just looking for the, the high level future, but we're also trying to find out what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. You know, if, uh, like, that's why I sort of asked that first question is that I kind of want to, this, if there's a goal of this whole project for me, it's that if I could, I could explain to someone how I write today could go out and try to live a sustainable world as possible mm. and i think the tool library is a big part of that uh and so you are listening to the green majority on ciut 89.5 fm or perhaps on one of our radio syndicates or our on our podcast which found greenmajority.ca and welcome back to the green majority on ciut and our many many wonderful community partners we are talking in studio with lawrence and we have just had this visioning of the future maybe a hundred years or so down the road and now we have the slightly arduous job of working back to our present reality and thinking about how do we get to this future um, that Stefan and Lawrence have been describing, uh, a future where work is reconceived, where meaning is accessible to everyone and, and they can fulfill their sort of life paths. So that's a huge job. But let's start with your work, Lawrence. <laughs> so you're one of the founders of the Toronto Tool Library and... Just in a nutshell, how did this come into being? Mm -hmm. How was this conceived of by you and your other collaborators to start this initiative? Where did you get the idea? But, you know, we were all environmental activists to begin with. You know, we were just people who were on the streets. You know, we saw a bunch of documentaries, found them interesting, and wanted people to start looking at the use of the resources of this planet in a different way. And eventually... You know, we, we found that the best way to do that would be to incorporate as a nonprofit. So Ryan uh, really took the initiative to do this. And, uh, and I always remember the moment where he was signing these incorporation documents and he was bugging me. Hey, man, you need to be part of this organization. I want you as the president of it. And I was like really wishy-washy and we lived together at the time. And then I was on the way to have a shower in my towel. <laughs> And he accosted me with the documents in his hand. Wow, he really picked his moment, didn't he? <laughs> he did. <laughs> Hard to say no. <laughs> exactly, so vulnerable. <laughs> so, so I signed anyway. That history was made that day. <laughs> and so fast forward, um, we started doing some sort of lectures, film screenings, bringing some authors to town who were talking about complementary currencies or a different way of, 
of using resources on the planet. And Ryan came across uh, a video of the Berkeley Tool Library. And we loved this idea so much. And we took it to our board of directors at the time, who was made up with an amazing group of, of people who we'd been in these activist organizations with previously. And uh, they said, yes, absolutely, let's pull the trigger. And so that's how we sort of got the ball rolling in 2012. And, uh, and it was the Center for Social Innovation who gave me a grant as a, an agent of change, youth agent of change. And I was able to access a lot of really great resources out of here and help to accelerate our business to the point where we find a location at the end of the year renovated it through the beginning of 2013 and opened our first doors, uh, first location in March 2013. And, and what does the tool library look like now? Can you describe <clears throat> it for our listeners? Sure, of course. So a typical location, you walk inside and arrayed in front of you are walls full of pegboard with little hooks on them and you have the drills and you have vernier calipers and sanding blocks and you have uh, grinders and all sorts. And on the floor you have shop vacuums and um, you have table saws and generators and things that you can use to make any construction project, essentially, to make your home better. That's what they look like a storefront, basically just like a store. You take the item from the shelf, you take it to the front checkout circulation desk, and there, if you're already a member, cool, we log it that you're taking this thing out, and you leave. And you come back a week later with the tool. So it, it looks like a store, but functions like a library. And... It's very interesting to me. You're talking about the sort of activist beginnings of these ideas, mm. but you've actually come up with something that's very tangible, very concrete, and accessible to anyone, really, mm -hmm. who decides to walk through your door. Can you talk a little bit about some of the work that you're doing around bringing the ideas behind the tool library to new audiences. So you and I were having just a really brief conversation before your interview, and it was the first time we'd met. And you, you were talking to me about how you really enjoyed speaking to people around the, the concepts and the ideas, not just the physical thing itself that, that underpin the tool library initiative. Mm -hmm. Through our organization, we really try and tell people that this tool library is a piece of a larger puzzle. It's that if we're going to have a sustainable or a beautiful world that works in concert with nature, where all humans are valued in the future, these things have to exist. And so we're laying the groundwork right now for them. And the beauty is that participation in the Tool Library project does not necessarily mean that you are an activist, that you are uh, you know, someone who wants to go out there and get on the street with a sign, you know, with whatever it is. It just means that you're responding to one of the incentives that are intrinsically in place with this project. One is the market incentive. Far cheaper to use our Tool Library than to go and buy a tool or even rent it from a big store. Uh, minimalism, you don't want to buy things. You just want to have minimal things in your house. Decluttering, have all these things. You don't want to use them anymore. You don't know what to do. You want a, a cleaner house. And then that environmental piece, which is that these things, they take so much energy to make. You split apart that drill. Inside, you've got copper. You've got all this oil, pellets of plastic that's been pressed, all these trucks that have driven it all over, these tankers that have transported the oil and the different resources all over the planet that work in this giant cycle that then make this thing that's used four or five times. So people see that and they're like, of course it makes sense that that item that is used less than seldom will live instead in a community spot that will be used many times. That is the incentive that I want to get to. You know, that is, that is the central message of the thing is that it is a climate change initiative. You know, it is an initiative that looks at the planet and says, you know what, these things are going to run out eventually. There's t it's totally illogical for us to continue to take them out of the ground make these things, and then put them in basements. Like, you're jailing these resources. They are in captivity, <laughs> basically. Uh, however, 
I don't need anyone, everyone, I'm sorry, I don't need everyone to be in that mindset that I've just described. I just want people to use the tool library and use these alternative lending libraries because they are a logical way for us to use the resources of the planet and they just make sense. And as long as people are using it, I mean, I'm not totally concerned that they're like these big climate change activists. I'm just happy that they're using it. So you're providing a forum where you're not you're not preaching to people about these concepts, but there's an opportunity to discuss them. And have you had experiences where people have come to the tool library just for sort of pragmatic reasons and then become engaged in these conversations with you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Great example is uh, Greg Smith. He's one of our one of our directors on our board. And uh, he is a graduate, Masters of Information graduate, and he works in a law library. And he came and was volunteering in our space just because he loved the idea. He came as a user and said, no, I want to be a volunteer. And so he joined. And then as he was behind the desk meeting members, chatting with us, eventually we did a call out for directors. And he was like, no, I love this. And we sat down together and we chatted about, you know, perhaps him joining the board. And, and he was like, no, I, these are ideas that really fire me up. You know, this is, this is something that's really cool. I can see how it works right now as an alternative movement for people who want to save money and stuff. But I really like those, those bigger visions. I believe in that. That is what I, I want that too. And now he's one of our directors. He's our secretary on our board. And he's awesome. Shout out to Greg. <laughs> Way to go, Greg. No, that, that's really exciting that that can happen. And you've provided an environment or a space where people can experience that for themselves. Now, we know, those of us that work around these issues, that it's not all rosy or smooth sailing. And I'm curious to hear your perspective on what, what barriers do you see existing specifically to your initiative or perhaps to your broader picture that we really need to be mindful of tackling or maybe launch sort of a deliberate strategy to tackle? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges we face is the perception that the items we have in the space are not as high quality as an item that you would buy new. I think that there is a lot of work being done to sell people this idea that new items are more exciting, more valuable, work better. Um, and we have to sort of tackle that to say that a lot of these things can be used many, many, many times. And just because another human has touched it or 55 humans have touched it before you does not lessen its value, its quality, its cleanliness, none of that. It is just a thing that you can use. And so this is one of the, one of the challenges uh, we, have to, we have to sort of face as an organization. And also it's, it's difficult because these are very localized mm -hmm. things. So most people, 75% of people are coming within a five-kilometer radius of our spaces, probably smaller than that. And so, you know, they really have to exist in all neighborhoods. That's why I love the public library and why our public library in Toronto covers so many people because there are 100 branches. You are never, <laughs> you're never like more than two subway stops from a public library. Uh, there's so many in the city. And so the idea of buying books to me, I mean, personally, I don't see any reason why I would do that. It's not that there are books that I don't want, but there are definitely books that I don't want to just have and cluttering up my home, but I want to read the knowledge. So that's the same with these two libraries, you know, or these alternative lending libraries like the Sharing Depot with the board games or the house party supplies or the camping stuff. We want, we want these things to be in as many neighborhoods as possible. However, we face the challenge of human resources, right. you know, salaries, operational money to, to, to work. You know, I'm still a volunteer in this organization since 2011. Yeah. Um, and so I do, it, I do it for its passion. I have a, side, I have a job on the side that I do. And many of, of our, many of our directors, they have the same thing. You know? And those that are getting paid through our organization, like our social media manager, 
Emily, my co-founder Ryan, our tool library manager, Kevin, youth program coordinator, Michelle, they're not getting paid the salaries that they are worth. To me, they are worth triple what they are getting paid right now. But they do it because they're also getting paid in passion. But to me, it's, it's, uh, it's a harsh reality mm -hmm. that we're constantly faced with. We have to keep the doors open and people running the space, and that takes money. And it's, uh, it's a challenge that every nonprofit can empathize with. Yes, absolutely. So we're sort of talking about two challenges. One is the, the reality or the barriers to scaling this model and, and actually creating greater accessibility. We have so many neighborhoods across the greater Toronto area that could benefit from having a sharing depot or tool mm -hmm. library close by so that people could actually access these things. So that we'll take that as we'll take that as a challenge to our community to see how we could potentially support <laughs> that. But secondly, I mean, you're talking about reconceiving our relationship with items that we use. Absolutely. So you and Stefan had mentioned very briefly sort of modular cell phones, cell phones that could be repaired. Oh my goodness. You know, we've brought <laughs> up this example so many times on the show because I feel like it's always my job to remark around the fact that things used to be built to last. And, and yep, I'm glad absolutely. to see that that's, that concept is, is coming back. But I have things from my, my grandmother that she used practically on a day-to-day -day basis and they're fine. They work just fine. So it made me wonder, at what point do we start introducing these ideas to, to people so that they form a system of thinking that values things that can be used again and again and, and don't necessarily assign a lot of value to something that's shiny and, and new? Do you do work with younger people? Have you thought about doing work um, with school-aged children, or have you done anything like that? So we run far? youth programs out of our spaces, and Michelle Mismash, who's been our youth program coordinator for a long time, she, as well, you know, since we opened, she does an amazing job of highlighting the community necessity for these these lending libraries, and teaches these kids who are you know uh, seven to fourteen about you know what a library is why it's important how you you know if you want to take out that tool you have to go to the front desk go to the volunteer librarian get them to check it out for you then you take it you can use it downstairs in the makerspace and then you have to bring it back you know and check it in again with the with the librarian and so uh, she does a lot of work in that realm too and and you know we've done work with the public library where we've been in in spaces and, and chatting with young people and showing them robotics and cool little projects that we do and maker fair is a great way of doing that too showing people um, or maker festival now showing people how to uh, all these different things that they can access and we're we're often there with a, a booth and a table teaching kids and showing kids uh, why these libraries are important um, but i think there's so much work could be done there i mean absolutely i think that these things yeah i just i just feel as if we must definitely start to change the way that we are using the planet definitely now it gives me i would say a large amount of anxiety on a daily basis the amount of climate change articles that come up and uh, i read naomi klein's book this changes everything and it really did change everything for me because it changed the lens with which i look at the news and now every news article I see more or less has this lens of climate change on it. And I think it is just the most, imp like, it is just the defining crisis of our planet right now. Absolutely. And I really, when I, sometimes I feel when I look at kids, I'm like, man, I'm so sorry. Like, it's going to really affect you more than it's affecting me. It affects me in certain ways. I'm very privileged where it doesn't affect my food supply or my water access my livability on the planet but that does for many people on this planet it does i've just won the geographic lottery you know and many did not 
And, and I think that it's, we need to think in a, not only a multi-generational um, species format, like a multi-generational human lifetime, but also just in a, in a human species lens, you know, that we are all humans. And, I, you know, this one human family thing gets thrown out there. But, like, when you look at sheep, they're all oh, – it's a bad example, actually. Sheep is <laughs> a bad example. I was, just, I was watching a video about sheep. I don't know. But, sheep no, on elef- the brain. <laughs> yeah. Elephants. Let's say yeah. elephants. These incredible, amazing, majestic things that are almost endangered. Um, you know, they are all – they're all elephants. They all have things that are – they're more – an elephant is more an elephant than it is a rhino or anything else or a mouse or anything. It is an elephant. We are humans first before anything else, before our class, creed, race, national identity. We are humans. And that is where we have to get to. You know, we, when we were chatting earlier, we were chatting about the analogy of a table, you know, and what you eat on the table. And like the table is that we are all humans and we must respect each other and treat each other as the wonderful, incredible, miraculous creations that we are, that we have been made, you know, by this long evolutionary process. We are a successful models of thousands of generations of winners, basically. <laughs> That's the only reason we are here. And that is the table. And we are all sitting, we have to all sit at this table and say that we are all humans first. We must treat each other as such. And whatever meals we eat on top of that, whatever books we want to read or worship that go on top of that, those things are secondary. You're talking about us sort of re-embracing humanity in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting to me how open children are to these concepts. And it's yeah, in absolutely. a way a lot easier because they haven't, they haven't been separated from these concepts. And just reflecting on your comments around the sort of anxiety that's being generated around climate change, when people come to an understanding of just how significant this challenge is to us as a species, but to other species on the planet as well, mm-hmm. um, children get that. Yes, They get that. And they're already carrying quite a heavy burden. I, I saw a group of, of primary school children give deputations in front of city council not that long ago, and they gave them in such a compelling way. Think of my future and my children. It actually brought tears uh, to my eyes and just the level of awareness and the burden um, that they have. So for me, then I start to think about, well, how do we, how do we channel this burden or this anxiety into something that's constructive for people of all ages who feel it? And I think it is felt on a very widespread level. Mm -hmm. So we, we recognize it, but we also need to make sure that it doesn't paralyze us, that it doesn't bring us into a downward spiral where we feel like we can never do enough. Yes, And I, and I feel like initiatives like yours actually are a very good outlet for anxiety or even even depression um, when people are having mental health issues around trying to grasp um, or come to terms with the scale of the challenge of climate change that to realize actually there are tangible things that we can do right now that mm-hmm. transform the way we live mm-hmm. um, and can potentially bring around the, bring a cultural transition in our society absolutely and there are there is so much work so much good positive work being done out there you know, that people can hold on to in so many different ways that people can get involved, you know, and every action is significant and every person's actions are significant and no one must feel as if they are irrelevant to the grand scheme of things because they are an amazing, incredible human just for showing up, just for getting up in the morning, just for being where you are right now, listening to these words that we're saying, like you are, you have won. 
And all you have to go is just celebrate your success <laughs> with the rest of your fellow humans <laughs> in well, a cool initiative. Well, that so beautifully ties in with the, the banner that Stefan has created of planning to win. I think this is a great time for us to break for our second music break. And welcome back to The Green Majority on CAT 89.5 FM uh, or one of our radio syndicates or, of course, on our podcast at greenmajority.ca. And we're here in studio with Lawrence Alvarez, president of the Institute Resource Institute for Resource-Based Economy and uh, co-founder of the Toronto Tool Library. And uh, what's funny is that we were on a panel, to, or I moderated a panel you were on like seven months ago mm-hmm. uh, about the future of money. I, I believe it was, it, was, it was, I'm sure there was a slightly different word, but that was future basically of markets. future of markets. That's what it was. And, and the one thing that I found, and even in this briefly mentioned in your conversation with MA, and then I found in that conversation that I found so interesting was this, was how often I feel like the replacement, when you're talking about the replacement of money, when you're talking about the idea of, of how, of how you can envision a society that, that does, that has, you know, that in which pure capital has less of an influence, shall we say. Mm. Um, so often or not, what you end up with is, 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 is replacing it with community. And, and when you describe sort of the experience of, of, of when your volunteers coming in uh, and experiencing that, that, that sort of community space, um, or, or, or even, it, it, I think it's a thing that keeps coming up and back and back and up to me over and over again of, of how often it seems that whenever, when, when capital uh, decreases in importance, community increases in importance. Uh, and, and I'm sort of, how does that land? Does that make sense to you? How does that feel to you? And, and, and how does that sort of interact with, say, your experience running the tool library? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when when you're not when you're not so focused on money and survival, the other things come to the surface that that light your fire in a different way. And and for me, it's been through the tool library. Even though I have made uh, very little money on this <laughs> initiative myself personally, <laughs> I have become incredibly wealthy in network and community and lots of people whom I surrounded with that I love and who love me. And it's and it feels it feels good it feels fulfilling this is why i'm still able to do it mm. really because it is fulfilling me in a different way um and that's from many different experiences of living with people who i found very interesting and and um you know who helped me grow and we had you know tough moments and and good conversations and you know that that feeds me in a different way or you know having uh, different situations challenged me in the in the tool library area um you know this is a different kind of currency that mm. that you that you can get paid in and though it doesn't buy apples it buys fulfillment happiness peaceful sleep those sorts of things i, I, I want to push back on this. i think it does buy apples that's the thing <laughs> like not exactly specifically but i think that's what i find so interesting about it is is this concept of people can uh, we we in our we, we've accepted that you know families will look after after each other mm. and often that other communities will look after each other uh, and yet and and so and so I think at some point like if you needed apples you would get apples that's my point is like as much as that while you are not getting paid for this work there's a part of this mean that feels that like that it's a it's that. You know, I, I have no, I have no question in my mind that if you were like, man, you you put, but you put a call to community saying, hey, I need twenty apples and I can't afford to buy them, mm-hmm. you would the, the twenty apples would show up at your, a hundred apples would show up at your doorstep, <laughs> and yeah. it's it's it, it, it's. It's it's that community piece that sort of I think and and we it's why I find it interesting I think is because it's the one way or one of the places where people can actually start envisioning another world without like we talk so often about how about how you know our society is entirely based on capital yeah. and and 
and then and then yet there's these small places and these parts of our world in which capital is never is never considered mm-hmm. uh, or at least for many people you know i'm sure there's some people who that doesn't exist anywhere but uh, i'm most humans know people have people in their family their life that 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 they would easily that would the money's not a conversation yeah, absolutely for sure and and a part of i feel like what this tool library does is it gives people another place another community where where maybe that could be true mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i like to think that definitely uh, you know and and I mean, I like what you're describing, absolutely. <laughs> the power of that community to provide for each other, to, to look after one another, to have your, your fate and your success and failure as tied with other people, not just an individual. You know, you're not just an individual. You are part of something much larger, and, and you benefit from that. And you struggle from it, too. It's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's a two-way thing, you know. Um, but mainly you benefit from it because you have the safety and the security of it and, and being taken care of and being valued by people. Um, that is really the beauty of, of having a, a community. And I think, you know, it, it took a very long time for me to make that those sorts of community connections here in in Canada, just moving from a different country, not having the humor, the context, anything mm. like that. It took about 10 years, I would say, to find that real, you know, the people that I could call in the middle of the night and say, hey, you know what, I had a really sucky day and I need to go for a beer. Right. Or I need 20 hours. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, and, and so... And so, in this, in, in to to sort of dive into this, into this sort of, uh, let's. I'm a person in Toronto. Uh, I, I I love the I love the tool library, uh, and and I and, and I we want, love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and and I want to say I want to support you. Uh, and I want to and I, I want to sort of. How are there ways people can sort of get more involved? The way more people can sort of like. You know, beyond just the sort of process of, I guess, I guess, if you're trying to get some people more interested in in their uh, a wider range, I'm sure you get people all the time who are reaching out to you trying to be like, I want to start my own tool library somewhere, mm-hmm. yes, or I absolutely. want to start my own library or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the sort of first piece of advice you give them? Oh, okay. Well, we honestly, I've had conversations with so many people on how to start lending libraries. I mean. Uh, I would say like once every two weeks I'm right. having a convo on this. The most recent one was, uh, I think it was Charlottesdon. I can't really exactly remember, but it was last Sunday. And, uh, and usually what, what I say to them is that they need <laughs> a community, they need a team. <laughs> so they, they, and, and I recommend to them to go and leverage existing networks hmm. uh, that are, you know, that are already established like bicycle People like bicycle advocates are great or transition town movements or um, urban agriculture um, advocates. These sorts of these sorts of people are, you know, they already have that same mindset that would lend to starting a tool library. And so I think it's very important that you don't do this alone because mm. it was it would have been completely impossible for me. I did it with a lot of people and I totally burned out to a little crumbly match. But so, I mean, even with community, like, you know that you need you really need that support from other people especially to do a project of this scale it doesn't seem large but there's so many little things that come up when you're opening this with insurance and rent and how are you going to stop it the software the tools themselves how do you check if they're safe what if they break down you got to repair them where do you get the pieces how do you actually get the tools in the first place where do you get your capital from there's a lot of a lot of different things and i would say a don't do it alone and b there are a lot of lending libraries around the world right now i mean a few you got Edinburgh, you have Dortmund in Germany, you have, you know, you have uh, all over the U.S., you know, everywhere from Baltimore, really good friends of ours. They're amazing. We have, uh, you know, Philadelphia, you have all these different places. There's so many out there. You know, Ottawa, Halifax, in Canada, there's so many of them, too. 
that you are not doing this alone. And mm. there's no reason why you should or it would be completely illogical right. to reinvent the wheel. We have a wheel. We have like a working foundation. <laughs> we have a pretty good wheel. Yeah. We, like, it needs to be improved, but we have a pretty good wheel. We Start have... there and then maybe build on that. Exactly. If you need to change the tread on the tire, right. legit. Yeah. For whatever terrain you're going on, that's totally cool. But we're going to give you the wheel. And that's, that is the beauty, I think, of this lending library movement is that it's very open source. Mm. People are totally willing to give you everything you need to succeed. And I think that's what's interesting about this as well is I feel like it overlaps a lot of other um, place uh, movements. I think uh, that um, that that you sort of that I think are required uh, for a uh, for a sustainable world. Uh, you know, so there's the maker community that you're yes. obviously very very plugged into. Uh, there's the open source community that you're plugged into, and, and so and so how do you how does that how does that work? Like, like, is there, is, you know, obviously the maker community of people coming in and sort of building their own stuff, it makes perfect sense to be connected to a tool library because mm-hmm. you have all the stuff. Yes. Uh, but do you experience that overlap very strongly? Or is there, is there, are there some people who are just really there for, for, you know, because they want to build things or is it, is it all sort of a cohesive unit? It seems to be a, a, quite a mix hmm. of different people. You have like, for example, we did a, a telescope making a workshop before, wonderful wonderful gentleman uh, was doing it for us who's built many telescopes before and and just the people that showed up are are so interesting there are people who've never heard of the tool library never heard of a makerspace but they want to build a telescope hmm. so they come and and they're doing it uh, you know with uh, with the tool library other volunteers and other people who are there um, but there are other people who are very plugged in they're the ones who are teaching the workshops who are really embedded in the culture and they they want to teach the thing that they have taught themselves hmm. like oh this is valuable someone else can do it and we provide them a platform in which to do it some sometimes i make the connection with like a, a like a car sharing service in a way because with car sharing the 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 car sharing service doesn't is not really concerned with what you're using the car for um generally right however you know if so if you want to either transport uh, you know a couple who's getting married from uh, the place from the venue to the reception or you want to transport you know a bunch of books to a donation center or uh, you want to go pick up a friend who's coming in from out of town you haven't seen them for a while and they had a tough time mm-hmm. You know, the, the car rental service is, the, the car sharing service is there for whatever you want to use it for. Hmm. And I think that that's, that's what we want the tool library to be, a bit of a table. And that if you, if you whatever you want to build on top of that table, that is, that is totally within the realms because you, can, you now have the possibility to do it. I think that one thing that is, is, is important for, for me in my organization is to see it as two separate things. One thing, I want it to be a driver of cultural change. And a lot of our online presence, driven by our social media manager, Emily, really highlights that different movement, different ways that we can operate on this planet, different things where it overlaps with the tool library, the same kinds of thinking, and we can reach different audiences and whatever. But the other side of it is to be a background Mm. item that's just a service that people can use that's just something that people will just think about like oh well of course i'm not going to go and buy i'm just going to go to the tool library and if they think about us in that minute in that kind of minute that they're deciding these plans and they come and use it leave and bring the tool back in the same day a week later whatever they bring it back in the same condition 
that that's it. That's that's all I want. I, I you know. And and I, I want to jump on that mainly because I think that is the that one sentence uh, or two sentences, however many sentences that was, uh, articulates why we wanted to come and talk to you in the tool library like first, basically, because for us, well, for me, and I'm I, I won't speak for Emmy, but uh, in our conversations, I feel generally okay with saying us. Um, what I'm so interested in is this concept of creating the new structures that it would exist in this sort of, like, like in part of my mind is like, I'm so scared, as you said uh, previously, of fear of the sort of, of, of climate change causing this sort of con- deconstruction of, of, of a lot of current existing parts of society, mm. you know, and that makes me so interested in the, in, in what the infrastructure we're building is now. And, and, and a library system as uh, is that infrastructure is the infrastructure of a, of a, of a, of a future world. Mm. Uh, and, and so that idea, I think, is so important that you don't necessarily want to be – you don't need to be the, the – the, you, you want to be a voice for change, obviously, because you're going there. But the idea that you're, what you're really creating is infrastructure for a sustainable world yes. is entirely different concept. Absolutely. Yeah, man, you really articulated it well. Yes. <laughs> um, and so, and so, so to, to, we're sort of we're coming up near the end. And so what I want to do is I want to ask the same question I asked. Uh, you sort of said a couple times, but I'm going to go – I'm going at it again because uh, we're asking everyone we're talking to the last question. This is the second last question before we sort of say how can we help you um, is, is, is what – brings you joy what about this work is like what's the most fun you have doing this <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> meeting members mm. is really fun it's really fun to, to to be in the space and ask people what they're doing with the tools right because there's a lot of really interesting things people bending canoes or building toys for their kids or putting up a picture that they haven't put up building a, a sofa you know someone built a sofa yeah you can totally. build sofas you can and upholstering it too wow. we have some of those tools too so there's a lot a lot of these really interesting things and when i hear people's stories i think to myself wow that wouldn't have happened you know right maybe, maybe it would have who knows but in my mind I, I i i really give the tool library and the sharing depot a lot of value by looking at it and saying hey you know that wouldn't have happened they wouldn't have bent that canoe Right. Or they wouldn't have built Grant. This one guy he built a pizza oven and a boat, a rowboat. Both of these things he built. What a dude! Honestly, this guy's a legend. And I look at that and I'm like, wow, he wouldn't have a pizza oven or he wouldn't have I, that rowboat. I don't even know how one builds a pizza I, oven. Neither do I. Also, like, I, 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 honestly, I picture the two libraries mostly being wood based, and I now I'm talking about like, what are you doing with this oven? Is it like, so that that gives me a lot of joy is to is to hear the thank yous really that people. That people give you when 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 they find out oh you're involved in it or you're one of the volunteers thank you so much i really love this right yeah i'm doing this project with my son you know i'm gonna build this for my dad for my mom nice it's it's yeah. it brings a lot of joy for sure okay um okay well, so so with that how can we help so you know people listen to you they spend the last 55 ish minutes listening to you mm-hmm. uh talk about uh the celebrity if, if they're in if they're generally speaking where they can find about uh, find out about you how can they help how can they get involved all those general questions that these interviews always include cool so <laughs> torontotoollibrary.com is the best place to see us or sharingdepot.ca you can also just search those terms and you'll find us on uh, facebook also instagram twitter that's the easiest ways to connect with us and find out more information about what we're doing and what workshops we're doing in the space how can you get involved we're always looking for volunteers and we're not just for volunteers to be librarians at the front although those are extremely valuable and i you know we always need volunteers like that too but i'm also looking for people to help me do graphic design 
to help us to realize the new vision for the organization. Hey, if you have, if you hear this idea and it lights you on fire, please come and add your fire to ours. Like, let's make this thing even bigger. And actually, soon we're going to be looking perhaps for some extra board members. Amazing. So if you are feeling like you are passionate, you are feeling like you, you love this idea of sharing, you love the vision and, and, and you know, what we've been talking about and what we're about, and I really want to hear from you. That would be amazing. And my email is really easy. It's just lawrence at irbe.org. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much, Lawrence. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, and again, I'm going to add this call out to this one as well because I think it's, it's, it's part of what we're trying to do here, which is I want to hear or we want to hear your ideas for sustainable world. Uh, you know, does what is happening in this world? What does that future look like? What does your 2117 look like? Um, and, and in part, because I want to go and find those people who are building the, that one of that the, those pieces uh, and bring them to you and, and, and have, them, have them hear you. So please do reach out to us uh, to tell us your idea for the sustainable world. Um, and this has been The Green Majority on CAUT 89.5. Thank you all so much uh, for listening. Uh, thank you for all the wonderful Radio Syncets podcast on greenmajority.ca. Uh, and have a great green week, everyone.